Welcome to Bethany. You've just heard the message. God, you are good. You are good. And you're never going to let us down. You are good. Good. You're never going to let us down. God, along with that, we also proclaim you are here. Now I know what some of you might be thinking. I mean, he's here because I'm in the sanctuary. I'm in the church. No, he's here in the presence of his people. And not all his people are together physically in the church. So you, right where you are at home, say, God, you are good good. You're never going to let me down. And say that final piece. And God, you are here right now. Living God, come into every person's heart who's a part of this service right now, God. For those who are at home and maybe cannot even be watching, we ask you to be present with them. We ask you to be tangibly evident to them. Each person who's listening in, if they're listening to it live, if they're listening to this hours later, days later, weeks later, months later, will you fill the room where they are with the presence of the living Jesus? We ask you to come, Father, and fill their home with grace, compassion. We ask you to come, Lord Jesus. Come with your mercy and your holiness. We ask you to come holy, holy spirit with your strength and with your companionship. Fill this place right now. Fill our hearts right now. Fill every space where the Bethany family right now is gathered with the presence of Jesus. We ask all this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. I'm so excited today to start a new series with you. And by God's grace, we're hoping to figure out by uh, using uh, some best practices, uh, wise counsel, praying together, thinking together, strategizing together, working together to try to get together, some of us at least in person, in the shade behind the sanctuary, next Sunday at 9. Pray for us. We need your prayers. Lots of details, lots of logistics to, to plan because we don't want to do this capriciously or casually. We want to do this wisely and to keep everyone healthy. We're going to also live stream that 9 o'clock service, and I imagine we'll do that at 9 o'clock live is that right? And then we'll repeat it at 10.30 as we normally have. So if you're not able to be with us for physical reasons or health concerns or any other reason, uh, you'll still be able to join in the service and be with us. And I tell you what, we absolutely cannot wait because we've been in a crazy season. Can I have another amen? The crazy coronavirus season. The crazy chaotic coronavirus season, the crazy, chaotic, complicated 
complex, crazy-making coronavirus crisis. Is that true for you? It's true for all of us. It's true for most of us in many periods of life, and I want to take you to a book of the Bible that may seem like a, a strange one to think about and to focus about, but I was deeply shaped when I was young. Yes, there was a time. Uh, when I was young, by uh, two messages, uh, a series of messages by Pastor Chuck Swindoll from First Evangelical Free Church in Brea, where I attended uh, church uh, during my uh, later years at Biola University and uh, some years after that as well. Uh, what an extraordinary preacher. Uh, he, he's such a great preacher that John Maxwell, the great uh, communicator, a pastor in San Diego for so many years, said, you want to know when I'll become a better preacher? I'll start preaching better sermons when Chuck Swindoll starts preaching better sermons because he said he freely borrowed from Chuck Swindoll. Now, I would never do that at all. I would not ever do such a thing. Chuck Swindoll's wonderful little book based on those messages called Living on the Ragged Edge, Coming to Terms with Reality. And it's a study of the book that we're looking at the book that we're opening right now. It's called the, the Book of Ecclesiastes. It's called the, uh, the Account of What Life is All About by a Preacher or a Teacher who was the king in Israel. Let me just read you before we get to the text let me, that, we're, that we're focusing on in the third chapter. Let me read you the opening of, of Ecclesiastes. It's the, the words of the preacher, the son of David, King in Jerusalem, we think this is an indication that this song, along with several others in the Old Testament, is a song put together by the man who was called the wisest man who ever lived up until Jesus came along, Solomon. We believe that in his, his youth, it's very possible, we don't know if this timeline is correct, but that when he was a young man, fell deeply in love with his wife, and wrote a little book called The Song of Songs. I am my beloved's, and she is mine. We believe that as he got older and he absorbed the wisdom he had been raised with as a young man living in the king's house, and actually uh, the king's son, the king's child who was being raised to be the king, to be a ruler himself, he gathered and collected thousands and thousands of proverbs, of wise sayings. The number is astounding. We'll look at that next week. And that's the book of Proverbs. And we believe that as a, as a senior, as an older man, seeing some of the futility of life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. They each give us a necessary perspective on life. Proverbs teaches us how to live. Song of Songs teaches us how to love. Ecclesiastes, it teaches us what we do when it all goes south despite our best efforts. The words of the preacher in Hebrew, Kohelet, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, and here's how he launches his book, and it's also how he ends his book in chapter 12. Vanity of vanity, or futility of futilities, says the preacher. 
Vanity of, is of vanity. All is vanity. All is futile. Not in your notes, but as I'm reading it, of course this wasn't in your notes either, in the CJB, uh, they render this Hebrew word, chebel, turn to the person in the room with you and make sure you kind of cough in the back of your throat, chebel, that word's the word that's translated vanity, or the ultimate vanity, right? CJB says uh, pointless, pointless, utterly meaningless, nothing matters. CEV says nothing makes sense. Everything is nonsense. I've seen it all. Nothing makes sense. And the EXG, uh, EXB says possible translations for this word include useless or meaningless or absurd or enigmatic or confusing or transient. It's here now but gone later. What's reality? I had a grasp of it, but it's like fog. It slipped through my fingers. So another translation of Hebel, Hebel, right here in River City, is vapor, a gaseous cloud. If I were to light a candle, light a match, and then blow that out, you'd see Hebel. You'd see kind of nothing. It's just smoke. It's here, then it goes away. And in Southern California, it rains down ash on your car. Another translation, bubble, and so on and so forth. A little pessimistic sounds like, right? Is he pessimistic or is he realistic? I looked into the insights of that great company of theologians called the San Gabriel Valley Tribune, and I offer as Exhibit A... We have an entire section in the paper now called coronavirus. <laughs> We've got the sports section, got the business section, now we have the coronavirus section. Down below it says, amid the death, the fear, and upheaval, how much of our old lives will we get back? There's a good word. Uh, let me turn to the entertainment section, spotlight. Here come the pandemic Emmys. How will stars do? Host Jimmy Kimmel and the stars accepting the awards, will they accept in their pajamas because they'll be communicating from their homes? Uh, for some of us, it's just kind of sad news that apparently, with all the other bad news, uh, Hollywood is starting their primetime awards season. I turn to the home section, the lovely home that is available. That's good news. In Glendora, that's close. 1,298,800. We want to go in together, brother? <laughs> Maybe not. Too rich for my blood. Opinion section. <laughs> I'm not even opening that. Oh, there's a special section. It's on politics. Oh, good. It's an election year. And finally, there is a section that has some good news. Sports. Lakers win game one. Angels won. Dodgers won. Albert Pujols passed the say hey kid to the greatest baseball player of all time, Willie Mays, with his 660. He tied it. 
661, 662nd home run. He's now fifth all time. Nothing but good news. Although the Rams, excuse me, the Chargers are playing the Chiefs today. That could be rough. And uh, there's no mention of the Clippers at all. My point being, you can make a fairly good case just from reading the morning paper or watching the evening news that all is nothingness. Hebel. Hebel. Right here in West Covina. In chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, he goes on. And I'll never forget the series of messages that Chuck Swindoll gave on this. I'll never forget the message that my Old Testament mentor, Dr. Bruce Waltke, gave uh, one, uh, one Sunday in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, on the book of Ecclesiastes. It was life-changing for me. It's been about 40 years, both of those messages. I pray that not because I'm sharing this message, but because God's Word is inspired and helpful to show us the right way to live and the right way to think and to correct our behavior and to straighten our lives out. I, I pray that this focus in the book of Ecclesiastes and the words of Solomon as an aged, sad but wiser man shares. He tells us that there is a season for everything. And in fact, that's, I don't know if we had the, the, the kind of the, the message uh, graphic uh, there for us. There is a time for everything and there is a season for every activity under the heavens. Under the heavens, that's where we live. We don't live right now in the heavens. We live in the presence of God, our Father who is in heaven, closer than the air that we breathe, but we live in our human experience in a situation where there's a time for everything and there's a season for every activity under the heavens. There was an incredible song, extraordinary song, written uh, in the 1960s, and I'll never forget being in the Philippines in Manila in a hotel dining room with a, a group of five guitar-playing uh, young men from the Philippines. And uh, I didn't know a lot of the songs, but I knew two that they had borrowed from the U.S. airwaves. One was California Dreamin', and that far from home, you know, 6,000 miles or so from home, I think it was a 22-hour, 24-hour flight at that time to the Philippines. I was kind of California Dreamin', that was great. But they also played another song by a great folk rock group called The Birds, with a Y, The Birds. To everything there is a season. Turn, turn, turn. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, and then Solomon lists them. If you feel confident and comfortable, go ahead and read these out loud with me. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Sort of a good news and bad news. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. They're not all kind of good versus evil. They're sometimes just different aspects of a similar activity. There's a, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn. We've had a lot of that the last six months. And we've had a lot of that as a church family as well. But there's also a time to dance. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. There's a, a time to embrace and a time to refrain. Does that fit 
our social distancing season. There's a time to embrace, and man, we miss the hugs right now. We miss the close connection, the warm handshake. There's a time to refrain, because we want to refrain from embracing right now out of safety. We wear our, we wear our masks. We keep six feet of social distancing. We refrain from embracing because that's the way to communicate love in 2020. There's a time to search and a time to give up. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. Now this phrase is a little enigmatic and some of the deal with what's, what's called the wisdom literature in Scripture, whether it's the book of Job or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or Song of Solomon or a couple others that are kind of often included in that, is that sometimes what they, what they state is not immediately evident or obvious on the face of it and it requires thoughtful scrutiny. It requires meditation. It requires reflection. It requires study. And this set of pairs of seasons certainly does that. We move on. Verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? You're at your workplace and ask that question, what do I get out of all this? What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen, because this book is a book of experience that Solomon has gathered throughout his life, I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He made everything, look at that word, beautiful. He made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There's something in our hearts that we don't necessarily know what to do with and we don't understand. I know, verse 12, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy. You thought that was written in our era. And to do good while they live. There's a little stinger in that last line, while they live. Think about it. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. You ever thought about your work as being a gift of God to you? Final two verses. Verse 14, I know that everything God does, everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. And God does it so that people will fear him. Or, New American Standard, as you can see, says, God does it so that people will be in awe before him. In fact, another translation, if I were to go on, uh, on that, uh, that God does this so that, in a sense, there's really nothing much else that we can do but to fall on our face before him in utter respect, in awe-filled 
worship and fall on our knees and adore him. Well, some of you hearing the words, reading these words perhaps together, some of you may be saying, Pastor Doug, where would the good news be in this? You've told us that life is full of, among other things, death, uprooting, killing, tearing down, weeping, mourning, refraining from embracing, no hugs, a time to give up, a time to throw away, a time to tear, time just to be silent, a time to hate, a time for war. Where's the good news? Would you look with me for just a few moments? I've got kind of two primary points with the three that come as, a, as an introductory kind of framework. This chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes is about what Solomon knows about life. In fact, it's about what Solomon knows about our lives, my life, and your life. Three things uh, as we start. The first is to notice that Solomon is honest. Solomon is honest. Sometimes life can feel a little meaningless. I qualify this a little bit, but he's honest. Sometimes, isn't this true? For all of us, life can feel a little meaningless. This fire in the hills, the mountains, the San Gabriel Mountains to the north of us is, I think the last number I saw was 6% contained. I think I've heard that that fire, the authorities tell us, may continue into October. I don't get that. But sometimes just not even the cosmic stuff, the the everyday stuff makes life feel a little bit meaningless. For, for those of us who are Angels fan, even though they've won the last couple of games, and Albert had that incredible breakthrough, and Mike Trout uh, got the career record for home runs as an Angel passing Tim Salmon. That was great news. But if you're an L.A. fan, man, the Clippers, they, they lost three games straight that everybody, everybody thought knew they were going to win. If you're a Lakers fan, it's been a long 10 years since our last championship. If you're a Dodgers fan, it's been since 1988, since the last world championship. Houston, you can keep your asterisk. Sometimes life feels a little meaningless. Verse 9 indicates this. What do workers gain from their toil? Do you ever wonder? Do you ever invest yourself in something deeply and heavily and wonder, does this really make any difference? I do this often on Sunday afternoons. I, I wonder, you know, I've studied God's word and it means a lot to me and it's spoken to me. Uh, it, I, is it helping somebody else? I, that's what is it, important to me. You don't know. You, you invest your life in, in something and you, you wonder, is this meaningful? Did it, did it matter? Did it make any difference? Look at verse 15. He says, here's kind of almost like a hopeless statement. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. <laughs> That's not really great news. It's just like what, what goes around comes around. A refrain that he shares throughout the book is there's nothing new here on planet Earth. There's nothing new under the sun. He's honest. Sometimes life can feel a little meaningless. Next thing he knows is he's realistic. He's realistic. 
He acknowledges that often, often life can be pretty hard. Some of this last season has been pretty difficult. Again, we have macro things. We recognize the 19th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks a week ago. We've now been six months. This Sunday marks the six-month anniversary of the first time that by God's grace and the kind investment of Mr. Chad Lowry, who grew up in our church and was trained at our school in uh, knowing how to do videos by Leona Owens, and then continued his education and works now at APU. But the Friday before we were going to have to go online, goodness knows how, Chad called our administrator and said, hey, want me to get you guys online for Sunday? And we thought, that'd be nice if Chad could kind of cobble together something. (laughs) I got home and I I just had to start laughing when I watched our video feed because if you didn't know better, you would think we knew what we were doing. (laughs) We have no clue. But Chad does. Billy Vasquez working with him now is great. Got a great sound guy, Sergio, who helps us. We got Kelsey, who's done an absolutely stellar, stellar job of leading worship in a context where there aren't very much in the way of worshipers in the room, and then an extraordinary worship team, worship band, and we've got Emily Rios, who's uh, kind of keeping us online and keeping track of comments and responding to people, and Sandy Torrey kind of doing the same thing, as well as looking out for uh, our our kiddos and uh, our children's ministry. Extraordinary team has made this possible, but man, sometimes life is pretty hard. Before I get to the third thing about Solomon, before I get to my two main points, I just here's a challenge I faced. Life goes from uh, on a continuum from really tough stuff to really great stuff, and sometimes the, the, the tough and the great stuff intersect, and sometimes they overlap. Uh, the Bible says that even in laughter, the, the, the soul has sorrow. <laughs> Is that true for you? So in our home, in our family, we've had tremendous laughter we got our daughter Shelby back. We got uh, Shelby and Ryan, her husband, uh, his five-year stint in the Marine Corps over. We got him back. And we got little baby Luca, the star of the show, uh, going to be two in a week. Joy, absolute joy. The needle's all the way this way. <clears throat> the challenge is all the work we had to do to get ready for them. Now, I'm not complaining about that. What I'm just recognizing is that life is full of sadness and joy, grief and rejoicing, hard work and gladness. One of the joys of having Ryan and Shelby and little Luca in our home is that Luca and I get to share a room. It's a room I call the study. It's where I study. It's full of my books. I'm as close to my books, many of you know, maybe just a little bit more than I know the other way. The kids come first. The grandkids definitely come first. But my books are kind of like my kids too. Uh, They're very important to me. That's that's how God speaks to me and and God works for me. As I study the Bible and I I, I look to other mentors, uh, both living and who have gone before, to give uh, insight and encouragement, well, I'm sharing my study now in fact, they don't call it the study. They call it Luca's room. 
it's dominated by a crib. There's a blackout curtain that they have kind of like a tent that goes over this crib so that sometimes I can work in stealth mode in what used to be the study and Lucas stays asleep. And other times, not so much. Now, am I complaining? No, I'm not. It's an absolute joy to have Luca in the room. Uh, last night, I, I didn't even bother trying to go in the room. I did a lot of my prep work, and then when he went to bed, I kind of transferred stuff. Uh, Shelby brought a, has a, a laptop. I put my kind of notes and materials on that, got a couple books out, tried to kind of set up what I normally do in my on my computer, on her computer, which is a whole different setup and missing some programs, so very time-intensive things, so it took me a long time to kind of prepare and, and uh, had to kind of jury-rig a light for the area of the house where I was sequestered at the dining room table and uh, not complaining, and I'll tell you why. It'll make sense in just a moment. And I, I, I st- intentionally stayed out instead of trying to persevere through Luca trying to sleep and then inevitably getting woken up uh, a week ago Sunday, uh, I... I did this, and we were doing just fine. I thought he was sleeping away, and then I had the urge to sneeze, and then he wasn't sleeping anymore. And then I sneezed again, and all bets were off. And normally, I've been told, don't, don't try to wake him. Don't try to comfort him. If he knows that you're there, it's all over. And he was crying long enough that I thought, I, I, no, I can't just let this go on. I, I unzipped the little uh, dark screen, a little tent that he has, blackout tent and I knew he'd be happy to see me and he chuckled and said pop which made my day and then I reached out my arms to him and he started wailing again and reaching past me to the door there was someone on the other side of that door who had value there was someone on the other side of that door who could kind of bring comfort and hope to this little life and Shelby indeed came in and she had to take him out so that was last week so this last night I thought I'm going to avoid all that so I I, I worked and worked I'm starting a new series so I'm doing uh, reading, I'm doing studying, I've been doing it for, I've been planning this message on Ecclesiastes 3 actually for probably two months because I've thought of how deeply this message about the seasons, that some are positive and some aren't so much, and how that speaks to us during coronavirus seasons. Uh, and early in the morning, I had to go in the room, I had to go in the study because that's where the printer is. And I kind of hoped he had kind of woken up at some time so I could print my outline so I could know what I was talking about today because I'm not able to speak without words in front of me. I don't have a, a good enough brain for, to do that. And I waited as long as I could. Then it was really, frankly, early morning. It was late, late night. And uh, I needed to print. Went in, printed my notes, sent them off so they'd be here to be on the PowerPoint and everything for everybody on the video. And you know what happened. Luca woke up. I didn't say a word. I hoped he'd go back to sleep. It didn't happen. Shelby came in. He was crying like the world had ended. She unzipped the blackout tent over the crib. She lifted Luca, sobbing big sobs, lifted him out, turned him around, started to walk out of the room, and he said, Pop! with a big smile. So am I complaining? Absolutely not. What I'm saying is that sometimes in the midst of sadness, there's great joy. And as the Bible says, sometimes in the midst of joy, the heart finds sorrow. 
Solomon's honest. Sometimes life can feel a little meanious. He's realistic sometimes or often. Life can be pretty hard. Verse 10 says, I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. And the third observation about Solomon is this. He's credible. He is credible. Why? Because generally speaking, would you agree with this? Generally speaking, life is confusing. Isn't that true? Just take out coronavirus. Take out election year. Take out your sports teams not necessarily doing great. Just generally speaking, often life is confusing. What's the word for it? Chabal. What's the word for meaningless? Chabal. What makes it confusing and sometimes meaningless? Chabal. Life's hard. It's difficult. It hurts. So now I get to the two insights that Solomon has, and you are going to be so glad that you are part of our service today. And if this benefits you because of the power of God's word, I want you to share with somebody else who maybe is not normally part of the Bethany family. Encourage them to watch this and follow along with the outline that's there available for you on our website as well. And I think that they can gain some comfort and encouragement as well. Here's Solomon's, I believe, two primary insights. We're just going to grab a couple out. There's more that we can do, and we're going to come back and, and draw more nourishment from this in the weeks to come. His first observation about life is this. Write down, number one, our lives don't last forever. Our lives don't last forever. But it might feel like it. <laughs> it might feel like it from time to time. That we, we gain this from verse 2, where we're told pretty bluntly the first two seasons there's a time to be born. That's a pretty happy season. And a time to die. Right off the bat, there's no escaping, right? This is life. It's that parenthesis between the year you're born and the year you die. Time to be born, time to die. But our lives don't last forever. The seasons don't either. Verse 12, I said there's a little stinger in that verse. There's nothing better. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good. But um bump while they live. <laughs> what are you trying to say to me, God? <laughs> Yet life doesn't last forever. They didn't in Solomon's time, 3,000 years ago. They didn't in my grandparents' time. They didn't in my parents' time. They didn't in my time, and they won't in your time. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. Now, of course, verse 14 clarifies everything that God does will endure forever. That's what God does. So, insight number one, our lives don't live forever. Again, at this point, you may be elbowing your viewing partner or talking back to the screen and saying, uh, Pastor Doug, you had to study for weeks to tell us that Solomon 3,000 years ago figured out our lives don't last forever. Well, give the man credit. He's right. It's true. Our lives don't last forever. And that's a comfort. It's a comfort for a couple of reasons, which we won't get into all of them, but 
One reason is this, because the seasons within the lives that we live, they don't last forever either. Oh, sure, there's a time in all of our lives to weep, but thank the Lord there's a time to laugh. There's a a time to refrain from hugging and embracing and from close social contact, from eating together indoors at restaurants, from even gathering to worship the Lord. But thank the Lord that there is a time to embrace, time to connect. In our experience in the life to come, when we know God, we believe that there's no more mourning or death, sickness, dying, pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. And the most beautiful statement in all of Scripture about the life to come is this. When we know and welcome Jesus into our hearts as our Savior, the Bible says that when we die, it says we will see his face. You know what I love about Luca being in my room? That every morning I get up, because he's a, more of an early morning riser, Shucks, just about everybody's more of an early morning riser than me. When I, I get up in the, in the morning and I close the door to my bedroom to walk out in the hallway, I usually hear, and the words, pop, with a big smile and a hug and an embrace. All worth it. Life is hard, but there's a payoff. More to come about this. The second insight, well, you're going to react the same way. You're going to say, you had to study this long and go back 3,000 years and read book after book to find out number two. Here's the second principle Solomon knows about life. Life isn't easy. Life isn't easy for a dozens and dozens of different reasons. That's the bad news, but here's the good news. It's also beautiful. Life is beautiful, as the Italian movie of several years back told us. You see, God gives us beautiful seasons, beautiful seasons to live through. And you say, pardon me, not all of those seasons sounded beautiful, a time to uproot Time to tear down, a time to give up. I acknowledge the reality of what you're saying. But you see, Solomon has thought long and hard about life's polarities. We're not going to dive into verses 2 through 8 in detail today. I want to encourage you this afternoon or this week to take a little bit of a moment to think about life's polarities. Time to be born, a time to die. Time for war, time for peace. Time to be silent and a time to speak. And I want you just to reflect on those. What do those mean? What do those speak to you? And let's admit, let her be, let's admit that these seasons aren't always pleasant. They're not always easy. They're not always, in fact, some of them are excruciating, some of these seasons. Some of these seasons you don't think you're going to live through. Some of these seasons you're not sure you want to live through them. 
If you're feeling hopeless and helpless today, if, you, if you've maybe even thought contemplated doing something to end your life, please don't. You may not know it, but you are loved. You've been loved since before you existed by the God. The Bible tells us that God, before the, he laid the foundations of the earth, he loved you and chose you to be his. There are people in the Bethany family who would love to get to know you, who would love to hear your story, who would love to become your friend, who would love to live in community with you. Don't give up. But some seasons aren't easy, some aren't pleasant, some are excruciating. Three questions I want you to ask yourself, again, this week. We don't have time right now. Look through that list and ask yourself this. Which season do you most enjoy? Well, how hard is that? But you know what is interesting is that each of these seasons may look different for different people. We may experience them different ways. What, what can be joyful to one person might be painful to somebody else. And the reverse is also true. We're all utterly unique. But which one do you most enjoy? I love laughing. I love building, creating. I love healing when I can bring healing or hope or encouragement to someone. I enjoy planting. I don't have really much of a green thumb, a little bit more brownish. I can't say I love dancing, but I wish I did. Long story there. Tell you more about that next week. Circle the ones that you most enjoy. How about the next question? Which seasons do you absolutely dread? Which seasons do you absolutely dread? Well, I can say with confidence, along with the great theologian Woody Allen, that time to die is not going to be high on my list of seasons to go through, right? Oh, I've had some pain in life. I've been wounded by life. I've been wounded by the choices of others. I've been wounded by my choices. I've had some pain. There's some things that I'd like to cross out. In fact, I'd like to get white out. Remember white out? And just you know, take them off the page. Eliminate that whole season. In a moment, you're going to hear why we can't do that. But maybe just X out or put a line through the seasons you absolutely dread. And the third question is this. What season, as you look at this list, what season are you in right now? What season are you in right now? Another rock group from an earlier era had a song in which, so we're in the middle, it says, uh, so here I am, stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> That's kind of where we are, so we're kind of between seasons, aren't we? We kind of cycle out of one and into the other and then back into the other and on and on and on it goes. And yet, I want to close with just one line from verse 11, the first phrase of verse 11 that tells us that God, look at this, God has made everything beautiful in its time. How on earth can this be true? We're told that this is the wisest man that ever lived before the coming of Jesus. He has made everything beautiful in its time. That includes a time to be born and a time to die. How can that be beautiful? 
The Bible tells us that it is, and we're going to look more into why that is in weeks ahead. But first of all, just a kind of a practical way to end, to kind of draw us to a close. Then we'll sing a closing song. Here's a question. How can you and I How can we learn to see the beauty in the season that we're in right now? There is beauty right now. Okay, yes, I wasn't in the study. I wasn't comfortable. Didn't have my full lights on. Didn't have access to my computer, all my books, all my resources, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't have access to the printer. But I was in a room with a beautiful little almost two-year-old kid with flaming red hair with wild curls. His dad sometimes calls him Albert for Albert Einstein. He is just a kick in the pants. And that smile and that hug, well, you can take almost anything. Isn't that true in your life? You've got some things that are painful, confusing, hard, difficult, challenging, vexing, fatiguing, frustrating there's other things you can give thanks to God for. How can you and I learn again? How can we learn to see the beauty that God says is right there in every season? Three ways. Letter A. We can learn to expect them. These seasons aren't optional. They are not multiple choice. They're coming. And they're coming for you. And they're coming me. So we can learn to expect them. Let her be. Let her be. We can learn to spot them, to see them, to identify them, to recognize them, to acknowledge, oh, here's that one. Didn't think I was going to have to go through this one. Not right now. And here it is. Look for them. Spot them. And let her see. We can learn to navigate them. One of the things I love about the wisdom literature is I've studied it. I took a three-week course, and I think it was 1980 with Dr. Bruce Waltke, one of the most extraordinary Old Testament scholars, Hebrew scholars of our generation. He's in his 90s now and still producing books. Extraordinary, godly, gracious, gentle Man, love this guy. And he taught me that in the wisdom literature, which teaches us how to live, sometimes it doesn't sound real religious. Sometimes it just sounds like kind of ordinary life. But there's words, there's multiple words for wisdom. I didn't look up the reference. I I believe in the first chapter of Proverbs from verses 1 through 7, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, I think there's 12 to 14 different words for wisdom. And one of the words for wisdom is a Hebrew word that doesn't look like it in kind of English translation. But the root connotation behind the word, it's used by sailors who are trying to navigate on ever-changing seas. Waves that vary in their course, and in their severity. Think the TV show, The Deadliest Catch. And in that time, that sailors had to know how to navigate, how to, 
how to stay alive in extreme conditions. Well, you and I are living in extreme conditions. And this word essentially at its root, Dr. Waltke pointed out, says it means when you're wise with this kind of wisdom, it means that you know the ropes. Now, I wasn't a Boy Scout either in behavior or in the actual activity, but I, I don't know the ropes. I'd never learned how to kind of do the rope tying, so I'd probably be kind of lost at sea, and I have, in fact, been once or twice in my life. But by God's grace, as I study his word and I keep in close connection and community with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, over time, I feel like in some arenas of life, I am beginning to know the ropes. I'm beginning to learn how to navigate life, and I thank God for the wisdom he gives. Now, how do you navigate them? Well, this is contained in verses 12 through 15, so look it up, and you'll be prepared for next Sunday. Let's have a closing prayer. Worship team, come on up and lead us in our final song of worship. Living God. Oh, so many of us feel a little, well, a little lost at sea right now. And we felt a little lost, a little disoriented. We felt some frustration. Well, let's be honest, some anger, some impatience, some irritability, some confusion, some disorientation. And here we are, God, stuck in the middle with you. And we ask for your help. We ask you to walk with us. We ask you to speak to us, and we recognize that you have spoken to us in many different times and in very varied and diverse ways you have spoken to us, and especially as Hebrews 1 tells us, especially in your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask you, though, to speak to us in our season, this season. Give us that perspective that comes from being able to navigate the ups and downs, the pains and the joys of the seasons that life throws at us. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, that wasn't rhetorical, all God's people said, amen.